You're in the water loop. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from Springpoint Partners and the Walton Family Foundation. Waterloop. The Waterloop podcast is sponsored by Hydroloop. Our water supplies are stressed like never before, and it's time for innovative solutions, including in our own homes. Water recycling is the most efficient and affordable way to use less water, and the easiest way to recycle water is to clean it right where it's used. Think about all the water used in a home just once, in showers and laundry machines. It's called gray water. What if that water could be captured, cleaned, and used again? That's how nature does it. Now Hydroloop can recycle 85% of in-home water use. Hydroloop is a breakthrough technology for water recycling. It produces water that is clean, clear, safe, and disinfected. Then that water can be used again in the home for toilet flushing, washing machines, garden irrigation, and more. With Hydroloop, you can use water twice. Learn more at Hydroloop.com. Waterloop. Hi, this is Travis with Waterloop. If you've listened to this podcast before, you've heard me talk about High Sierra showerheads. I am such a big fan of them for their water efficiency, for the powerful spray they provide, their solid metal construction, no plastic parts involved, and how they're made in the USA. But there are some other great recommendations on High Sierra Showerheads. Let me share these with you. They are named Best Showerhead by Popular Science. They are named Best Showerhead by CNET. High Sierra Showerheads also gets named Best Low Flow Showerhead by Wirecutter, Treehugger, and CNN Underscored. You can also look on Amazon and see that they get tons of high-star reviews from all the satisfied customers. You can get 20% off using promo code LOOP20 at HighSierraShowerHeads.com. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. Very excited for this episode to talk about the word resilience and what it means. That's a big question and a critical topic. Joined by two guests from the Pacific Institute. We have Jason Morrison, the president. Jason, and you're coming to us from Glasgow at COP26. Thanks for joining. Well, really glad to be here and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about uh, the top water resilience. Sure. Um, I apologize in advance for any background noise. I'm in a fairly crowded spot. Yeah. Well, we, but it's, you know, this is, this is news and this is timely and it's great stuff that you're able to join us from there. And we also have Heather Cooley, director of research at the Pacific Institute. Heather, you've been on before. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to talk with you again. Yeah, so uh, let's start with what's going on over there at COP26. Jason, uh, you're, you're part of this big event. The world's watching. What's, what's going on with water right now? What's, what's kind of the feeling around water? What's the place of water at this, at this critical global event? Yeah, so the, the story of water at uh, COP26 is a little bit of uh, two sides of the same coin. Uh, at one level, it certainly is getting increased attention and discourse among uh, the delegates here, uh, as compared to past years uh, at the COP in Paris about five or six years ago, the water pavilion or the water tent was in overflow parking and it was mostly water people talking to themselves. So as compared to that, there's certainly 
a lot more attention and profile. But if you're following the news coming out of COP right now, almost all of it is still around uh, net zero, the carbon reduction commitments, and the climate mitigation side of the equation. So still a ways to go before it's fully integrated into the policy discourse, but big steps forward uh, as compared to previous years. That's a, a step up to get out of the overflow parking and get out of the parking lot and get a little bit more into the main building. That's 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 a great step forward there. Um, so let's pivot to this resilience because I know that that's a word that's probably uh, all over the place at, at COP twenty six. Um, as it comes to water, you know, what would you all say is driving the increased attention on water resilience? Obviously, climate change is part of that, and I'd love to hear you dig into that. But yeah, what are what are the reasons? Why is this such so important right now? It's it's rising to the fore because there's growing recognition that climate change is water change, um, and, and these changes are not in the distant future. Um, they're here and they're now. Um, the changes are also happening much faster than many expected, and they're going to intensify. Uh, so, you know, I think for, for all of those reasons, water resilience and the need for resilience is really, you know, starting to starting to resonate and starting to land with more and more communities around the world. And you know, one of the other things I, I think that maybe layers on to the the climate change issue and the stressors that are putting on water is, you know, the state of water systems, um, you know, in the United States for sure, and places around the world too. Like these systems are are in a lot of cases old, aging, crumbling, and just not serving their needs. And so there seems to be is that part of the resilience equation also from your perspective? It is, and in part, it's an opportunity because as we are thinking about reinvesting in our systems, investing in infrastructure, and thinking more broadly about what defines infrastructure, right? It's not just gray infrastructure; it's the green infrastructure that that sort of uh, you know the larger watershed. Those sorts of questions, I think, become really important. <laughs> you know, what do we invest in in this changed world? How does it look different than what we did in the past? Um, and so I think that, you know, to your point, that is an important opportunity for us to be advancing uh, resilience and to be rethinking how we have developed and designed these systems. Sure. I guess I would uh, just add to that by, by marrying the two questions. I think the reason that it's raising in profile as an issue is because of people's lived experience and because of the way that the impacts of climate change on water has affected people, whether you're a farmer in the Midwest or whether you're watching the news on a daily basis about the drought in the Western US, or if you live in Miami and notice that it's increasingly frequent that the streets are flooded at high, high tide events. So I think people are feeling it and, and seeing it. And then the degree to which our water systems are not able to mitigate those shocks or those impacts, it makes it more pronounced. And that's when I think the attention not only gets there, but the, the need and the understanding of the need for solutions that will build the water system in a way that can accommodate these shocks and stresses in a, in a more effective manner. Hmm. I, I like that point about the lived experiences. You know, a lot of the talk about climate change and the impacts was kind of, you know, in the future and, and theoretical almost, but we are really starting to see these things happen uh, in a lot of different ways. And so that's, that's uh, motivating folks. Um, I know the Pacific Institute has been focused on water resilience uh, from very early on, and I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about that. You know, what early attention you all put on on water resilience? And we're talking like decades ago, right? 
Well, we've done a, a lot of work on water since the beginning of the organization's uh, founding in 1987. Uh, and there is link between water and climate, including very early work from our founder, Peter Glick, who was uh, modeling what snowpack effects would happen in the Sierra Nevada as a result of climate change. But when we went through a process um, a few years ago based on our understanding of how water systems are being impacted by climate change and realized that the, the transformation towards water systems' ability to deal with these changes, fundamental changes, is, is woefully uh, it, it not there. So we set a 10-year ambition to catalyze the transformation to water resilience in the face of climate change and to bring a lot of our programmatic work and our partnerships around trying to drive these solutions that are reflecting the need to adapt and to become more resilient uh, in the face of climate change. When the Pacific Institute started talking about resilience and kind of sounding, sounding, uh, you know, raising this conversation 25 years, 35 years ago, my math is a little off there. Um, how, how was that received? Uh, you know, what, what was the reaction to, to beating the drum around water resilience? You know, how were those early alarms taken by people out there? I think in in many respects that some of the early alarms were were sort of acknowledged but largely ignored. Um, you know, I think at the time climate change was not seen as an imminent threat. There were other issues, more urgent issues, at least that were seen um, that that many felt they needed to deal with. Um, I, I think too many thought that water systems were designed to handle variability. Um, wet years and dry years, they, we build storage, you know, we have some tools um, and we'll just need to do a bit more of the same. So I don't think there was quite the, the urgency or the recognition of the need for sort of transformational change as opposed to just sort of gradual change. Um, I do, though, think that there is there is greater acknowledgement of the issues. As, as Jason mentioned, we're already starting to see these effects. Um, they're happening more. They're happening faster but there are still many who are unsure about what changes are going to be needed and how to get there. And are many, too, are feeling constrained by sort of old institutions and approaches. And so there is a real, I think, need and opportunity for us to rethink and redesign and change how we're managing systems to better account and accommodate for a future of greater variability and uncertainty. Makes sense. You could make the case, Travis, that 20 years ago, 10 years ago, you'd get extremely uh, dry stretches and everyone would chalk it up to droughts and drought cycles and natural variability, as Heather mentioned. But I think what's becoming very clear as the data mounts is that we're not talking about one-off events, but uh, actually a, a change in the way that water availability is uh, uh, is um, shrinking in some parts of the world. There was a recent report out by the World Meteorological Organization that showed that if you go back over the last 20 years globally for the for water availability, the wetter parts of the world are getting wetter and the dry parts of the world are getting drier. And in some places, annual water availability is shrinking uh, over that same period of 20 years by four to five centimeters a year. That's two, two inches a year, which may not sound like a lot, but that's actually a lot of water in an arid region. And so I think as this data mounts, the, the decision makers that are in control of, what, of managing water resources are realizing this is not the one-off drought, but this is a new 
future. And, and for those that are looking back at the historical record, for example, in the Colorado River and saying, these are going to be our annual average flows, I think are not really in tune with what the data are showing is, is likely to be a future that's more like what we have now. And that's, that's, that's the need for a shift that we're talking about that is not just about um, chalking it up to it being an unusually dry couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I cringe every time I see these news stories about the drought in the, in the Colorado river basin, right? This is not just drought. This is like aridification. This is long-term change in the climate there. Um, so the word resilience itself, um, why is it important to actually put a definition on that word? Um, it's one of the words I hear a lot, you know, innovation, sustainability, resilience. What do those things, what do those things mean? But wh why is it important to define resilience? I think it's important because um, we need to name it to, to take action. We, we really can't wait anymore. Climate change is here. It's getting worse. Um, and the risk of an action is too great. It's not just doing a little bit more of the same. It, it's really rethinking how do we manage these systems? How do we even think about the system? Um, and so, you know, I, I think for that reason, it's important that, that we define the term. Um, that we start using the term and, and people consider resilience in all of their actions and activities. Um, you know, that, that, that's for water managers, but, but, it, but it's for the private sector as well. It's, it's for all of us to be keeping that sort of the idea in, in, you know, in, in mind. Sure. Sure. So I, I know one of the things you all have done now is you've, you've, put out a definition of resilience um, and, and it's got a lot of pieces to it. Um, so love to love to have you share that news right now and especially what your definition is of resilience. You know, as Jason mentioned, we launched uh, just two years ago um, a goal to catalyze the transformation to water resilience in the face of climate change. Um, and, and with that, we set out to define the term. It, it helps to sort of guide, you know, guide us in our thinking and our work, but but also for the broader community. Um, and we define water resilience as the ability of water systems to function so that nature and people, including those on the front lines and disproportionately impacted, thrive under shock, stresses, and change. I, I love that you uh, that the. The definition is not too extensive, right? It's it's focused, it's concise enough that it really conveys that that information. Um, Jason, anything you want to add about about that definition and and how you arrived at that? Yeah, maybe the one thing that I would like to add here is that that, that when we think about the impacts of climate change on water, we all know that those impacts will not be felt evenly across segments of our society. Uh, and there are frontline communities that are gonna be impacted first and worst. And so for our organization and the way we think about resilience is making sure that all the communities and nature are, are able to withstand and even thrive uh, through these shocks uh, and stresses and, and these changes. So our work will orient around making sure uh, that we can achieve something that John Matthews of the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation calls deep resilience, which is all segments of the society that are able to um, uh, manage through these impacts of climate change. 
Awesome. So now let's get even more wonky since we're all water people here on this conversation and, and probably listening. <laughs> um, I want to I want to you know, dive into those terms a little bit and just to just to put them because you did this too in your document. You've kind of defined the different words that are in the definition, which I think is key. So systems, functions, stresses, shocks. Um, you know, kind of rapid fire. What do each of those things mean? Well, yeah, great, great question and, and important to define. So when we use the term water system, it's not just about pumps and pipes. Um, that, that's sort of the, the old definition uh, and, and too narrow. Really, as nature and people are interdependent. And so when we use the term water system, we're using it broadly. It's including the natural environment and the built environment um, and also the, the governance systems around those things. So. So we're thinking of it broadly, and it, and it has to be thought of in, in that way. Um, and, and when we talk about function, it's not, again, just about the provision of services for people. That's part of it. Um, but it's also about ensuring that the processes and the structures that maintain the natural environment um, are maintained. Um, again, it, it's taking that broader approach of the interdependency between people and nature. Uh and, and then two, stresses and shocks. Again, that's an that's a important part of it. Um, you know, stresses are the sort of gradual change, things like population growth, temperature increases, um, whereas shocks are the more sudden events, uh, things like wildfires or floods. And so, you know, whereas resilience really came about with climate change, and I think that highlights it, there are all sorts of stresses and shocks that we are facing, um, that we need to be prepared for. So, so you know, climate change is an important driver. It's an important frame for us to think about this. But this is going to help us respond to a much more variable and uncertain future due to climate change, but due to lots of, of pressures on on our systems. Yeah, yeah. The way I would like to add to it, if I may, uh, is when it comes to systems, if you're going to take a resilience approach, you need to not only think about the water system, but how it connects to other systems uh, mm. and, and impacts that might be uh, manifest as a result of climate change. So for water, this would be the energy system, the food system that are all, as you know, very reliant on water. So Thinking about resilience and the ability to manage through these impacts is about connecting the water system to these other systems that are important. That's the first part I'd make. Uh, and to give a little bit more um, uh, illustration of what we mean by stresses and shocks, let me just prop up two examples. We've already talked about one with the long-term reduction in available su supply uh, in places like the Colorado River. Changes to the Sierra snowpack uh, that are forecast to continue to reduce on percentage basis, given that winter storm events are more likely to come in the form of rain rather than snow, and what the implications that means for our California's infrastructure. That would be examples of stresses. Shocks, the great example I would give, the most recent one, was the winter storms that uh, impacted Texas and uh, were uh, so cold that they shut down the energy system. Uh, and that led to millions of people without clean water and, in fact, tens of thousands of Texans that were on boil water advisories weeks after the shutdown. That would be an example of a shock and one that probably most water managers in Texas hadn't had on the radar of how they're going to manage through these things that are changing uh, their available water supply and their ability to provide water services. 
Uh, one of the other things you dive into with your your new piece here is the dimensions of resilience. What does what does that mean? The dimensions of resilience. Yeah. So we think about sort of three di- dimensions, um, and it's persistency, adaptability, and transformability. Hmm. So you know, we, we think of persistency and, and how it's defined broadly in the, in the literature is about being able to return quickly to a stable state after a disturbance. Um, adaptability is around sort of adjusting as some of the gradual um, uh, uh, and predictable disturbances change over time. And then transformability is really about fundamentally being able to alter sort of the functions and structures as these hard to predict shifts occur. So when we think about resilience, it's about uh, allowing us and designing systems such that we are able to adjust and transform under these, this more, again, more variable and uncertain future. Um, so, you know, it's about, you know, with Jason's example, ensuring, you know, let's use the example of Texas with, with, the, with the events that cause the energy systems um, to, to, uh, to, to um, deteriorate, you know, thinking about, okay, what are the, the backup options available? How do we ensure a reliable and safe supply of water under these sorts of systems? How do we create that sort of safety um, that enables us to face these, these more extreme events that are happening to us? Yeah, I I like that that you've gone into the dimensions of it. It's not just just one. It's not that straightforward. Um, you know, I mentioned the word sustainability before. Uh, there's another word kind of used in this conversation: security, right? And and then you have resilience. Um, how do you differentiate between these words, and why is it important to differentiate? Also, uh, decades ago, I uh, very much uh, grew up trying to drive towards sustainability outcomes and the way we think about sustainability. Um, but there's, when you think about sustainable water management, there's really more of an understanding of trying to make sure that communities and nature have the water that's sufficient and the intergenerational equity around water uh, that's uh, uh, you know, allowing for uh, a stable state. The, the difference with resiliency is, is a, more of a uh, understanding of a dynamic state and perhaps an ever ev- evolving state, which is an uncomfortable place for sustainability professionals to first get their head around because there's this, always this sense that we can bring it back, sustain. If you go to the root of it, it's let's sustain what we got. Um, but um, I think with a, a resiliency mindset, there's more of a shift towards being able to um, dynamically evolve the system in, in light of the change. And I, and I think the examples we were using around um, water supply availability is a good one. It, you know, if you're in a persistence mindset, when there's a drought, you're figuring out how to make sure that all of the communities get the water they need during that dry period. But if you start realizing there's a shift towards the way the water system is not going to be what it was, there's no sustaining what it was. If the Colorado River is going to have 85% of what we historically thought it had in terms of river flow, then you have to start understanding that you've got to deal with the 85% as opposed to, hey, we're going to wait for that 100% come back uh, mm-hmm. based on historic averages. So, you know, resiliency thinking is about understanding this more dynamic state of being able to respond to these stresses and shocks and be able to make sure your systems can um, maintain function in light of those. Heather, over to you. Yeah, um, you know, 
part of in our work, thinking through sort of the definition of resilience, I think one of the funnest part and, and the most challenging part was trying to think about its relationship with, with water security and water sustainability. These are often sort of guiding principles that are being used in the water space. Um, and, and for us, we really came to the important conclusion that it's critically important that water resilience build on a foundation of water security and water sustainability. Um, we could certainly come up with sort of, you know, resilience measures um, that were unsustainable. And, and that's, that is, that's not ideal, <laughs> right? We could think about just building massive storage um, that could capture every drop of water for, and, and use that for people. But that's certainly not sustainable. That's not thinking about um, upstream or downstream communities or about the ecosystem. Um, or about whether or not there would even be enough water to, to put in those that storage. Um, so as we're thinking about what are the, the, the strategies that help to advance resilience, we really think we have to keep sustainability and security in, in, at, at the fore as well. So, so it's really about sort of meeting all of these objectives. It, it does make it certainly more challenging, but I do think it makes for more durable solutions um, that benefit all. Yeah, I really, uh, I really, again, as a, as a water wonk, really appreciate the, your, your document on this topic and the differentiation of, of those three and explaining how each one works and why each one is necessary for like the big picture, uh, you know, of, of having all that. Uh, clearly a system can have uh, one of those without having the other. They could have two of the three or they could have all three or, you know, they could be moving from different phases of them there. Um, <clears throat> so what, what's kind of your your call to action at this point? Um, what do you hope that that um, is the outcome of putting out the definition of resilience? What should systems and, and communities do you know, with, with this information and this perspective? We strongly feel and, and, and recognize that, that the global water crisis is going to be exacerbated by climate change. And because of that, we're urging water decision makers in the public sector and in the private sector to really commit to achieving resilience by scaling solutions through changing and altering their policies and practices um, to, to really work towards resilience. And, and we recognize there's no perfect resilience. Um, it's not something that you do, you know, you fix and you do it once. It's, it's really an ongoing process. It needs to be sort of a, an ongoing framework that we need to be working from given this, this greater uncertainty that we're facing. So we're really calling on the, the broad community, the broader community to, to really prioritize resilience. And again, building on what we already know around security, water security and water sustainability. Jason, you want to add to that? What's, what's your, what's your call to action here? And, 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 you know, what, what should systems do? What should communities do, um, you know, with, with this definition of resilience, you know, if they're really taking this seriously, this situation that we're in and that we're you know, going to be headed towards, what's, what should happen? Yeah, let me answer that in two parts, if I may. The, the first is about the call to action and the sense of urgency. It's hard not to be a little bit of a chicken little about this because those of us that have been 
studying water and doing research on water for a long time are realizing that the changes on water systems are going to happen much faster than people are prepared for. So there is really some urgency about this. And so the accelerated adoption of leading practice on climate adaptation approaches and, and water resilience is really necessary. And you're already seeing leaders step up, but but mainstreaming this is something that needs to happen faster than it's happening. So there's an urgency there. Um, we think there's three areas that we are focusing our solution set around where we think there's a lot of promise for accelerating progress towards water resilience. One is around uh, demand management or efficiency and reuse. Um, Heather can talk extensively about why we believe this is a, a, a no regrets pathway to building water resilience. There's work we've done recently in California that can demonstrate that. The second is uh, investment in nature-based solutions, uh, also that prove out to have many co-benefits on the climate mitigation side, as well as the adaptation side, um, biodiversity, human well-being, uh, that is simultaneously building more resilient water systems. And then thirdly, a, a lot of work that still needs to be done to better understand which frontline communities are going to be disproportionately impacted, where and how, and how we make sure that we prioritize mitigation strategies so that those communities are not disproportionately impacted. Heather, anything you would add to what I've said? Uh, I think, you know, these strategies, as I mentioned, are, are priorities for us. We think that they are critical for building system resilience because they are robust, right? They're going to perform well in, in wet conditions, dry conditions. Um, they help to provide redundancy to systems, you know, uh, and confer flexibility to those systems. So, you know, I, I think efficiency is a great example where by reducing our demand and eliminating waste, um, we're able to make the best use of the water resources that we have. Um, we see that here in the Western U.S. with drought. We've, we've been able to dramatically reduce our water use, and that is able enabled us to stretch our available supplies much longer. It also provides flexibility in how we think about the system um, and how we operate it. Um, lots of opportunities too um, around reuse and thinking about decentralized systems to complement our existing centralized systems. Um, and as Jason mentioned, thinking more about green infrastructure and 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 how how to integrate that into this broader system. Um, so there are, we think, lots of opportunities to be enhancing system resilience, um, and there will certainly be benefits um, broadly. Um, I, too, will, will underline and highlight uh, the point around frontline communities and really the need to ensure that these strategies that we're putting in place um, are also oriented towards helping those communities. You know, we know, for example, the way that many efficiency programs are oriented, they are not meeting the needs of low-income communities. Um, they're not able to benefit from those programs as they're currently structured. So there are tremendous opportunities for us to be doing better, to be sure that we're meeting the needs of those communities who, again, are on the front line and are going to be you know, experiencing this first and worst. Um, we need to, to prioritize those activities um, in, in helping those communities as well.
So a lot, a lot of the, the tools and techniques and tactics are kind of out there for, for building resilience and sustainability and security also. It's just about taking urgent action and, and pursuing these in, in a much more pedal to the metal kind of way. You know, I, especially for me, I'm always struck by what's happening out West in the U S and the opportunities for water reuse and why there's just not projects getting, getting put in place everywhere to, to go after that. But Anyway, that's a little side commentary. Uh, Jason and Heather, I really appreciate the conversation. Great talking to you. I encourage anyone watching or listening uh, to go to the Pacific Institute website and check out this definition of resilience document. Uh, really great perspective and information. Uh, but thanks to you both for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you, Travis. It was great talking with you. Thanks, Travis. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Springpoint Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. Waterloop is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish choice for conserving water, energy, and money while enjoying an invigorating shower. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at HighSierraShowerheads.com. Waterloop is also sponsored by Hydroloop, the innovative water recycling system for homes and businesses. Use water twice with Hydroloop. Learn more at hydroloop.com. If you like Waterloop, please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and visit waterloop.org to sign up for updates. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.